building better relationships at home and at work for people who have more than enough on their plate. Two coaches dangling the possibility of finding joy in your relationships. Do you dare to consider life can be better? Have a listen and tell us why. In today's episode, Angela and Patty will be discussing how having balance with thoughts and feelings can improve your relationships with others at home and work. All of us have thoughts that are not happy thoughts. All of us have thoughts that are out of balance, unkind, not that great, and probably better not shared. (laughs) However, once you think a thought, that thought adds to the collective thoughts of consciousness in all human beings. In a previous episode, number 48, Building Resilience with Social and Viral Media for Caring Relationships, I talked about mass consciousness, which is the collective thoughts and emotions created, experienced and projected by humans through all time. Yeah, Angela, I'd like to add also a little more to this about our unhappy thoughts. When we are feeling victimized, our thoughts and feelings become unbalanced. Working through those feelings helps to maintain balance and interaction with others. For example, looking towards the future with hope and gratitude while realizing the past was a life lesson to navigate a better tomorrow. Thanks, Patty, for bringing that up, the victim mindset or feeling like a victim. It's really been a big part of my growth, and I'm still working with that, actually. Patty, you do coaching for inspiration. That's the name of your offering. You inspire people with ideas, thoughts to think differently, creatively and be solution focused do you find that humans are balanced in their thoughts well Angela most people have a lot thrown at them throughout the day they have not spent any time shutting off they are in overload or overwhelmed some are just going through the motions and some are constantly in fear or defensive mode so the answer is no and do you feel that thoughts are inherently both negative and positive and that means we get to see both negative and positive thoughts and then see what emerges out of the crossfire (laughs) I think it depends on the home and work environment suppose You have a stable and loving and respectful home life. That's positive. And if you have turmoil, criticism, hostility, and lack of love or encouragement in the family unit, that's negative. In the work environment, let's say that you feel challenged and respected and you enjoy your job and you're encouraged and you're acknowledged and praised and feel heard. This is positive. However, if the workplace lacks teamwork, it promotes aggressive competitiveness. Micromanaging, harsh critiquing, 
pitting each other against one another, criticizing and bickering behavior, that's a negative. There could be a combination of both, an excellent home life and a horrible work life, or Mm. an awful home life in a great work environment. Then there is both a negative home and work, or both a positive home and work life. So which is the most balanced? Is it having joy in both places? Whether people realize it or not, personal and work life run into each other daily. Wow, that's actually really made me contemplate what what is balance. Like if you have a positive home life and a negative work life, that's sort of balanced in a way because you're, you're learning from the negative and you're using that positive home life as a resource. There's more there I'd like to explore. Um, Patty, what is inspiration? How could inspiration be derived or created from negative and positive thoughts interacting with each other? What is inspiration? Okay, I'm going to give you the dictionary version kind of changed a little bit. Inspiration is inspiring or animating action or influence as an idea or a result of inspired activity, a thing or a person that inspires you. Spiritually, a divine influence directly and immediately upon the mind or the soul. The divine quality of writing or words of a person, so they influence you. The act of inspiring the quality or state of being inspired. Now, my definition of being inspired to me means inspiration is when you feel compelled or drawn to do something and feel good about doing it. Someone encourages you and you feel energized and enjoy doing it. So let me give you an example. Say you're at work and you're in a positive work environment and your boss really encourages you to step out of your comfort zone and and gives you something that you never would have thought you could have accomplished. Right. But you're excited and energized to do it and you want to do a good job. And you do it, and then you celebrate that you did it, and they're so proud of you. That's inspiration. When something negative happens in your life, we can reflect on that situation and either look at it from overwhelm, distraught, resentment, unforgiveness, or anger. That's okay. We need to go through the process of healing. However, when it consumes us for years and holds us back in life and we can't move on, it is not healthy for us. It can make us sick. It can change our perspective towards others that have nothing to do with what happened. When we learn from that experience and are able to share how we move past it with others that are going through the same thing, we inspire them to heal from it as well. That is taking a negative and moving it into a positive interaction of thoughts and actions. What you shared, Patty, makes me think or contemplate that inspiration actually is nothing to do with the negative. It's to do with a perspective 
of looking at the negative. And from that, you create something new, which isn't necessarily positive. It's something new. It's something beyond positive and negative. Um, yeah, I could go into philosophical backgrounds around <laughs> that. It's a bit like the, I forgot the philosopher like Hegel or one of them that talked about that. So I'm going back to thoughts because we're talking about balancing our thoughts and thoughts themselves can be quite manipulative. And I'm going to share more about mass consciousness and how it operates, that thoughts actually become negative. Whenever you have a thought, it could be a thought that has been around from mass consciousness throughout all time. It's basically being circulated throughout history. It could come from your parents and from their ancestors. And so any thought that you have that you think is yours, is it really yours? Here's a perspective too, Angela. Changing the thought cycle is important if it is harmful or unkind. Let me give you an example. Say as a child, you are verbally abused. How can you stop the cycle with your children so it doesn't continue? Change your interactions and words towards them in a more kinder way? Can you share an example of of how parents experience that? I'll give an example of my husband. He was physically abused by his father. So when we had children, he decided that he was not going to be that way. So for him, instead of spanking the children, he would sit them down and talk to them and at great lengths and explain what they did and why it wasn't good and all of those things. And some the kids would just roll their eyes and think, oh, my gosh, is he ever going to stop talking? <laughs> but he changed the cycle of hit first, talk later. Right. So that was something that he chose because he didn't want to be like that. And it, it was like a... Uh interaction he had that choice he made was an interaction he a thought he had in the moment but it was also a point as when he became a parent he said I'm going to be not that parent right I'm not going to be like my father in that aspect yeah and I think that's a great example today especially in our current world and through this pandemic parents have been thrown huge expectations and just expected to deal with it and a lot of also this perfect idea of parent I think is very abusive itself like you're supposed to be this parent that's always inclusive always knows how to control the bad social media that your kids are exposed to it's too much so if you're a parent beating yourself up about your parenting I've got a really great book as a a way to start looking at maybe some of your thoughts about yourself as a person and your own childhood and how that's affecting your parenting. And that's called Parenting from the Inside Out. Uh, Dan Siegel's one of the authors. He's a great 
uh, writer. I'm, I'm parenting and teenagers. He's got a whole range of books. And so it helps you understand the conflict between how you feel about how you treat your child because of the way you were raised. And also I did a Facebook Live on motherly love and its connection to the lack of self-love that you might experience and how hate can form when we have self a lack of self-love. So we look in that Facebook Live, I look at the blame that we give to our parents when we start to separate from them. And then we also start to feel a lack of love because we separate from them. And then we start to damn ourselves to these negative thoughts and feelings because we start being separate from love. So we'll put the link in the show notes to that Facebook Live. So I wanted to share that my current state in the podcast is also really seeing some anxiety about conflicting thoughts in myself. So I've been having states recently where I've started to see a rise of negative thoughts and not so great thoughts. And then I get these anxiety related feelings like, why is this happening? And it's like a rush of feeling of, oh my gosh, here we go again. Here's that negative part of myself. So don't be thinking, you know, that you're unusual. If you have a rise of negative thoughts. It's it's a very natural part of human experience. And in my life, I started having that as a teenager. We've done another podcast on that, Patty, I can't remember, but where I experienced depression and anxiety growing up. So it's quite common now for me to see those thought habits, the cycle revisited. And the process I'm doing now is just to allow those thoughts to come and see where I am in that process. Uh, This is one thing I discovered uh, early on as a teenager. I was trying to be very conscious and careful of every single thought. It's actually a Buddhist practice. I didn't know I was doing it, but I wasn't doing it so joyfully (laughs) as a teenager. But you start, you write uh, all, all of your thoughts down on a page. And you see how that thought is connected to another thought, which is connected to another thought and connected to another thought until you actually get to witness that there's no end to those string of thoughts. And you see how ridiculous it is to try and control them. And if you do this, you can see how your thoughts are actually connected to all these other thoughts in the world. Um, If you're having a negative thought, it could be some media that you watched could be a story that you grew up with it could be a memory or a story about that memory so our thoughts are moving all the time and that buddhist practice is to show you you can't control your thoughts and if you ever tried actually you would go mad i think i tried that as a teenager (laughs) wasn't very helpful um, because you actually find there's no end Uh, so when i was a teenager i did that and i got to a place of feeling desperate So you you can start to have empathy for people because if you start to feel there's no end to it, then you start to question your own existence. And that's where meditation is very important because you start to breathe and feel the presence that is there beyond that endless string of thoughts. It's always there, but we can, the negative thoughts try to tell you it's not. So my question is, 
anything, what can you do, anything to focus on your thoughts and watch them and then start to see which ones are helpful and which ones aren't because they're always there. The positive are there, the negative are there, and sometimes the negative just seem, appear to be more overwhelming. And one of the strategies I think we can bring back is a sense of humor about how weird these thoughts are and out of control, random, these thoughts are. Try not to be so perfect about how you appear in the world or even how you think about yourself. Our world now is trying to moralize and control the way we look and appear and speak in the world. And that's starting to then also filter into the way we think about ourselves. You can be self-critical because in your social media stream, everybody's trying to appear perfect. My friend a few weeks ago reminded me of a line from Elaine from uh, to Jerry in the Seinfeld sitcom. It's a 90s sitcom if you don't know it. And it's really good because they are very good at showing that dark side of humanity in a really funny way. And Elaine says to Jerry, people, I just don't understand them. And Jerry retorts back to her, people, yeah, they're the worst. And I just laughed with my girlfriend when she reminded me about it. And it reminded me of the 90s, how we used sarcasm and satire about the worst parts of ourselves through shows like Seinfeld. And we watch those characters in Seinfeld and they they embody the worst thoughts in humanity. And we laughed at George and Elaine and Jerry and Kramer because we all had the same thoughts, but they those characters were less ashamed to speak them out loud. And actually they were vindicated. You know, they felt they were vindicated to have those negative thoughts. So these days that that rise of shaming others in social media and in our public sphere, it's making it not easy to be so comfortable with your own dark side. And people are going back to more Victorian attitudes where in Victorian times, your true thoughts, your fear, your shame of your opinions or your thoughts, you didn't disclose them in public. So the Victorian attitude was despite any perceived shortcomings in your family, your personality, your financial status, you did always pretended that you had it good and you upheld that reputation. So social media today, which affects our young people and the way they see the world, is doing the same thing as that Victorian attitude. It's expecting people to show a good face, not disclose what's really going on in your thoughts and feelings. And also in social media, people feel like they have permission to troll, to send negative comments without any connection to who they their true persona is. So they've got a fake persona and they troll people. And they are recycling really negative comments online. And they feel like that's okay because I'm not in person and I can get away with it. And they feel like that's permissible in social media environments. Angela, I remember when I was young and I worked at a bank and I worked as a drive-through teller, men were very bold because there was this huge window and a vehicle between me and them. 
I guess they felt it gave them permission to behave badly or inappropriate. And social media may give the same appeal. <laughs> so is it like this dark part of ourselves that's just <laughs> doesn't know what to do with itself? It's out of control and... <laughs> Or is it just I can get away with this and no one will know it's me? Right. It's interesting. It's it's a fascinating human condition. And I I what I find interesting is that why don't we also then want to show that positive aspect, random acts of kindness, or not even just random acts of kindness, but where is the drive to, to build the, the inspiration that you were sharing at the beginning? where is that being nurtured and cultivated in ourselves or in our lives? I think the other part of social media that is annoying to me <laughs> is that there is an expectation that you should have pure thoughts. There's an ultimate right and an ultimate wrong. If you ever have a racist thought, then you're a really terrible person. And I can say that to you because I never have a racist thought. I never have an impure thought. And now social media is making it very easy to make people wrong or right. And it reminds me of what we used to do in medieval times or not so medieval times. Uh, we used to do public hangings and we still have that in the world. We would execute people based on them being condemned by the public and social media is starting to have that same process uh, without the physical execution, but it does make people hedge their feelings and the expression of their thoughts and fears. So social media has created a new public hanging for people, for their ideas, their thoughts, or things that they write without really respecting the person or their humanity, and then without really any attempt to understand the idea that the person has shared. When I grew up, Patty, and I don't know if this is similar for you, but my mum said, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything. I think I've said that myself to my children. <laughs> Oh, right. I'm trying to work out where that comes from because that feels like you're trying not to be rude and honest. But it's kind of like when you were saying it to your kids, was that you trying to treat them, teach them how to be more engaged with people without pissing people off? Or... Right. And yeah. just trying to curb judgment or be more empathetic or or there's just some things you just don't say you know the filtering aspect maybe so it was filtering with the intention of not hurting somebody else yes right so yeah the filtering and curtailing people's speech on social media feels like not like that it feels very different and I I noticed with my mum she used to tell me, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything. But then she used to say a lot of unkind <laughs> things behind people's back. You would see a, a different side. Um, yeah. At home, you could say anything, but in public, you better not. <laughs> right, right. 
And then mum would say awful things about my dad too. So I got really confused. It's like, okay, mum, but now you're saying really bad things about dad. <laughs> and she, she knew it was not, she wasn't doing the right thing, saying unkind things behind people's back. Um, and I, as a child, I looked at her and I was confused. I thought that's very hypocritical. But then later as an adult, I realized I'm just like my mother. <laughs> I, to someone's face, I act really cooperative and agreeable. And then in my head, <laughs> I've got this other voice saying, I hope I can get away from this conversation quickly. And well, for whatever reason, I've got to go somewhere or whatever. I don't want to, I'm not comfortable in the conversation. And so I wasn't really any different to my mum. My mum was just more expressive. She was more honest, like the Seinfeld characters. She was just externalizing. She, she her said inner how she felt. Yeah, she said yeah. how she felt. Yeah. So all of this moralizing and trying to be perfect, which I also do myself, it really is destructive. You've got to have some honesty with yourself. And my mum used to do that with us, which might <laughs> might help me these days because then because my mum did it I start to just be honest with how I'm feeling a big part of my healing work is to start seeing all of that unconscious and conscious negative thoughts that I've had about a person somebody else and I might have had that thought about them for years it could be even my mum or a family member and then I start to see how that thought I've had about the person has actually pushed that person away from me. And I, that person, even though I've never actually said the things about them out loud to their face, they've actually felt the energy of my thoughts. And I'll give an example with my partner because I've been stuck at home with him <laughs> in lockdown. Um, <laughs> I love him dearly and if I see something around the house that I don't like um, and it can be something really stupid like crumbs on the table, I hear this awful voice in my head like, oh, God, why did you do that? Oh, how could you do that? And you don't respect me. And it goes on and on. There's this, there's this constant stream of, oh, why did you just do this and this and this and this? And are you trying to damage my furniture on purpose? And, 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 I, and I go, whoa, hang on, Angela. Uh, you can tell we're in lockdown right now because the stream of thoughts gets really loud. And he's, <laughs> he's in the house with me a lot. So because he's in the house the thoughts are getting bigger and bigger and the yes. concepts are getting and it's getting louder and louder and then I go whoa and then I notice that his behavior starts to change I haven't said anything to him right now this is just my thoughts and so I start to look at them and go wow the, the thoughts are not in balance that's pretty obvious but it's a need and an and an insecurity in me and it's got nothing to do with my partner and there's a process that I have to start balancing the negative thoughts and it's very much connected Patty to something you shared 
in our episode 47 on how to be honest about what's not working. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the things you said about how will that thought, my thought, help him? That one really helps. By pausing and reflecting and and asking yourself, is this helpful to me and my relationship with him? Does it need to be said? If yes, then do it. If no, then don't. I'll give an example. My husband always wants to drive, but sometimes his driving makes me a little anxious at times. His driving style and my driving style are totally different. We have had numerous arguments when I'm being a backseat driver, or you might as well say side passenger driver. So now I work on keeping my mouth shut unless I see something that may put us in harm's way. I still struggle with keeping my mouth shut, but things are a lot better in the vehicle between us when I do. It's a work in progress, believe me. It's a work in progress, but is it for the better good of our relationship that I keep my mouth shut? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no one wants to be in the car when I'm driving. My partner's <laughs> very brave. He's so funny too. And I, I'm, I'm a saboteur, um, like a secret saboteur type. I'll drive like that and then he has to drive because he can't handle <laughs> my driving. <laughs> so we've just surrendered to that. He's better off driving. It made me look at um, that that experience of seeing my stream of thoughts going out of control with my partner about the crumbs on the table, just one example, it made me start to see um, that when the thoughts are not in balance, that first I have to just see that. I see that they're not in balance. I'm pretty not able to change that habit of going out of balance. And sometimes the only thing I can do is just say, oh, wow, your thoughts are really out of control. How crazy is that? And then I see how random they are, how mean, how out of context, how disconnected to the reality of the situation the thoughts are. And they're often based on some story that I don't even know where the story came from. But the most effective is that it's not helpful to the relationship. So what is most helpful to the relationship is always being spontaneous in the moment. And it really has no basis in thought. So what's fruitful to my relationship with my partner is always based on a feeling, um, a lot of comedy and a delight at being in, in, in my partner's presence. And he's really natural at also being able to be in my presence. He's very natural at it. So it really helps me a lot. I think if our partners can work with us and just accept we're never going to be perfect, that's going to be a great place to start 
and that they're never going to be perfect. Right. And to love them. Yeah. For who they are. That was part of the Seinfeld sitcom that I really enjoyed. They were really flawed, deeply flawed individuals. But, but they, they loved in, each other. They loved, loved each other. Mm-hmm. And they didn't even have to be boyfriend and girlfriend. They were just friends in a yeah. deep sort of flawed way that everything was accepted and and challenged <laughs> and provoked and and creative and spontaneous and they got into a lot of thoughts <laughs> and then and then created problems from those thoughts a lot but they accepted that about each other so with my own relationship when i get charged up thoughts that's when i know to start a paying to watch them to see them what are they trying to make me see inside myself and if they have something loving and helpful and fun and insightful for my partner those thoughts are the spontaneous ones the ones that kind of come from just random spontaneous ideas going back to inspiration from somewhere I don't even know where they come from they're just inspiring creative thoughtful in a caring, fun way. And they don't have a lot of thinking behind them. They just sort of flow and come spontaneously. So, Angela, before you had said the phrase, what is fruitful to a relationship? I love this. So to the listeners out there, when you're starting to feel that emotion of imbalance, think about that phrase, what is fruitful to to the relationship? And think about those fun things, like Angela talked about comedy, the delight of being in the presence with your partner. And that unbalance will become balanced. In this episode, we have given all of us a lot of things to think about in our relationships, whether it's social media, our home life, our work life, and much more. We would love to hear your tips, strategies, or inspirational stories on building better relationships at home and work or about this podcast topic. If you enjoyed this podcast, how about becoming a supporter? Click on the support button in the Anchor app. And thank you so much for listening. Thank you for listening to Building Better Relationships with Angela and Patty. Send us a message. And please like or share the podcast or donate with the Anchor Donate button. We really value your feedback.